Evening. <laughs> you can't fall asleep yet. Am I on? Yay. Um, we're going to be focusing on just, uh, just first eight, which says, um, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Um, and I'm going to look at three things today. We're going to look at two mistakes which Christians make. What God wants from only two. Uh, what God mate wants from us, and five life hacks from Peter. So two mistakes we make: what God wants, and five tips or life hacks from Peter. You know, a lot of people have a problem with Christianity. Um, millions of people, and we often kind of think of things like, for example, oh, science and Christianity, or we think about the problem of suffering. Or we'll think about some hypocrisy, or we'll think of, you know, Jesus being the only way to God, and these sort of things cause, cause problems. But I think one, which won't be a surprise to us at all, is a reason why millions of people have a problem with Christianity is because of Christians. Christians who give a counterfeit, a fake Christianity. In that they either say that, um, there are a load of rules. Following Jesus is about a whole pile of rules. Or, going the other extreme, where they say, there are no rules. Grace covers it all. We're fine. And there's um, absolutely nothing new about this. Uh, here we go, technology. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, this guy here was writing in about 150 AD. Okay? It, um, his name is Tertullian. And he wrote, just as Jesus was crucified... Um, between two thieves, so this gospel is ever crucified between two errors. So the first one, big word, okay, the first word is antinomianism, which basically says, do what you want. Do what you want. And it reminds me of if I'm ever playing Monopoly and I've got the get out of jail card, I hold that, it's like, who cares? I've got my card to play. I'm alright, I've got it. So it basically is saying, Christians can live however we want. Because we're saved. We said to Jesus, please save us, and we're fine. We can behave however we want. Um, this is what Jude says in verse 4. He doesn't pull any, any punches. Um, and all, all the Bible bits I'm going to do are from the NLT, the New Living Translation. This is what Jude says. He says, Some ungodly people have wormed their way into church, saying that God's marvellous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Christ Jesus. Christians who follow this, Christians who say it doesn't matter, Jesus, you're not going to be my leader. That's what they're actually saying. They're saying, we'll take the Saviour bit, but we're not going to do the following. We're not going to do the following. And then we've got the other side. We know these guys, the legalists. We often meet those and we try and avoid them often. So legalists, your faith is performance-based. If I can just be good enough, I can earn salvation. Or, a subtle one, I can do so much and Jesus will top it up. And I'm there. I'm almost there. And these people can be really self-righteous. They can be really hard work. Um, they're trying to earn a salvation. They'll add lots of bits to the Bible and extra rules. Have you ever come across rules you think Christians follow and suddenly one day it dawns on you, that's been added. Okay, there's loads of them. I won't listen them off now. But um, here's what Peter, uh, Paul says about it in Colossians 2.23. He goes, These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. What legalists are saying is, Jesus, you're not going to be my saviour. 
I can get there myself, or we can do it in partnership. So the first guys are saying, you're not going to be Lord, you're not going to be leader, you're not going to be boss. And the other guys are saying, you're not going to be saviour. And um, you'll see these massive ones in the uh, at the moment, I was only, someone sent me a link this week about the hyper grace movement in America. I'm sure it'll come over, which so fits into that first one. I used to think that as Christians, we sort of fell into one or the other. And I've come to the conclusion that maybe we, we do a weird hybrid of the two. I'll give, I'll give you an example. So when I botch up, and I do, when I do something that falls short, I do a sin, I'm very quick to go into the kind of antinomianism. Oh, it's all right. We've got grace. I'm all right. Okay, and I'll, I might downplay it. I might down, downplay it, not realising that I've missed the mark. And then I'm afraid to say, when one of you guys do it and I spot it, I come slamming over to the legalist side. Whoa, what were you thinking then? And I do, you know, what we do is we take the bits which offend our sensibilities in the Bible, the bits we find difficult, and we ignore them. And the stuff which the Bible says we should do and we find quite easy, whoa, we'll uplift those. We start graduating sins on a certain scale based on what we find easy or what we find difficult. We treat the Bible a bit like an a la carte menu where you pick the bits you like and you ignore the rest. Or does anyone remember, anyone remember Woolies? Pick a mix with sweets. Yay! You pick your sweets. If there's, if there's only one sentence you remember tonight, it's this one, okay? Jesus needs to be our saviour and he needs to be our leader. He needs to be two. It isn't an either or. He needs to be our saviour and our lord or leader or boss, whatever you want to call that. Um, this next bit, I didn't realise what my family were going to descend today. So this bit would be quite amusing and you can speak to Lane afterwards about this bit. Uh, 20 years ago and four days, I got married. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> And um, I said these vows, like any of you guys who are married. So I said, um, I'm going to love and cherish Elaine uh, until one of us dies. I'm going to respect her to the best of my ability. That doesn't sound good, actually. <laughs> I'm going to respect her, full stop. Um, I'm not going to sleep around. I'm going to be there for her. I'm going to be there when times are good. And I'm going to be times when, uh, when things aren't so easy. I'm going to be there when I'm madly in love with her and times when we're really irritating each other. That's never happened yet. Um, <laughs> um, I'll put her above myself. So sometimes she'll say something, I'll think, okay, we'll go with that. Um, and when I mess up, and I do, I'll apologise and do my best to move on with that. Now, imagine if you guys had been at the wedding, you'd heard me say those vows, and then three months later, you see me, and um, I've had a string of affairs. I disrespect my wife at every opportunity. I do whatever I want. And here's the important bit. And I do not care. You would rightly think... Did he follow those vows? Did he mean those vows when he said it? Was he serious about it? You know, when we accept Jesus as Lord or boss or leader, we're saying similar things. We're saying, Jesus, I'm going to love you and obey you for the rest of my life. I'm going to respect you, and to the best of my ability, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to please you. I'm not going to have things in my life more important than you. When I spot them, I'm going to downgrade them. And I'm going to do this when I feel really close to God, and like the song said, when I'm in the valley, when God feels far away. And sometimes, Jesus, you're going to want me to do things which I don't want to do. But I'm going to do them. And sometimes... That there's going to be things you don't want me to do, which I don't, which I want to, and I won't. And when I mess up, and I will, 
I'm going to say sorry and repent, move away from doing that. And just like the marriage vows, when someone makes a commitment to follow Jesus, the change or not in their life will show you how seriously they said those vows. Let's do the basics first. These bits are, I know it's really small. The first one is, we cannot earn our salvation. We can't earn being saved. It's a free gift from God. It's offensive if we think we can start earning it. We say yes please or we say no thank you. There's no sitting on a fence for that. It's free. The second is we will continue to make mistakes as we follow Jesus. Yes, when we do that, we should, we're going we're to regret it. But remember the third point, that when we repent, we turn away from it, we will always be forgiven, irrespective of what we've done. The most horrendous things you and I have done are no match for God's grace. But there's an edge to grace. When we say to Jesus, we want to follow you, we commit to you, there are going to be implications of how you and I should live. The good news of Jesus isn't without demands on our daily life. Sometimes you're putting a nail, you're hammering a nail into the wall, you catch your finger, something comes out, you're a bit angry, those sort of slip-ups. But they're also the mess-ups which we can regularly participate in. We can compartmentize God and say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, but not that part. That part's too important. But really bluntly, we shouldn't be actively participating in any activity which we know is wrong. Here's what Paul says in Titus. Titus 2, 11, 14. For, hang on, multitask. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good works. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. It's a promise. When Jesus died on the cross, we often say about the penalty of sin, we'll say, isn't it amazing? Jesus takes that and we go, yes please Jesus. And it's like we've got completely, we're clothed in new robes, as if we've never done anything wrong. And we talk about that such a lot, but the cross was more than that. Jesus broke the power of sin um, on the cross. When he died on the cross, that amazing promise that the power of sin was broken and with the Holy Spirit living within us, we can resist day-to-day temptation. If you want a cracking verse, to um, Bible verse to to learn, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. You see, God cares how you and I live. And he wants to deliver us from stuff which we're finding hard to break. He wants you and I to live a pure life, to live a life that's pleasing to him. We will mess up. 
He is there. His grace will forgive us. But he wants us to aim that high for that. And his spirit over time can transform us if we're willing for it to happen. But living a pure life is tough. It's going to have consequences. And 1 Peter, Peter and 1 Peter talks about five things just to be aware of. I'll just read it through. This is what Peter says. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That's why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The first thing Peter's saying here is, expect suffering. Now you might think that's not a very encouraging message, but if suffering's coming your way, you might as well know it's coming your way. There's many, many Christians that when they face suffering, their automatic response is, I'm doing something wrong, or this, this is a situation I shouldn't be in, etc., etc. And Peter says, expect suffering. It's going to come your way if you follow Jesus. Don't be surprised. And here comes a tricky bit. When suffering comes, temptation's there, there as well. When suffering comes, temptation. Think about Jesus being tempted in the desert. When a suffering will be temptation, you will have voice in your ear like I've had saying, this is too difficult. I want to give up. I didn't sign up for this. Wouldn't it be great this Sunday just to stay at home and watch Netflix? Etc. Etc. <laughs> I've had that one. Expect suffering. But realize that when it happens, it can be an opportunity for your faith to grow. Like everyone else here, I have my own battles. And when you face them, we have a choice. Do we abide in Jesus? Do we move closer to him? Or do we move further away? Did we mean those vows when we decided that we were going to follow him? Verse 2, Peter says, Actively pursue his way when you're suffering. Think about Jesus. When he knows he's going to be crucified, and he says, Please take this cup away from me. He's praying to God the Father. And by taking the cup, he says, I don't want to suffer. He was very God and very human. He goes, take this away, but your will, not mine. During suffering, when you suffer for doing good, you are saying, your will, God, not mine. And then verse three, um, verse 3 and 4, again, it doesn't sound very encouraging, but you might as well be prepared, because it's going to come your way. Mentally, mentally prepare yourself for abuse from others. If you're following Jesus, if you're wanting to lead a holy life, a life pleasing to him, you're going to get abuse. Now in Peter's day, I never realised this, but in Peter's day, what he's actually talking about in that first paragraph there, 
is that there was this weird kind of pseudo-God sort of thing going on at the same time as Judaism. What I mean by that is that each trade had a certain demigod who they'd worship. So the carpenters, the fishermen, etc. And they would have meetings. And at the meetings, what they'd be doing is they'd be praying to this God as well as the Jewish God, you know, keeping all, you know, all bases covered, etc. And that's why Peter says, and their terrible worship of idols. And what of course would happen was, when followers of the way, followers of Jesus, started following him, they said, I'm not going to those meetings. I'm having nothing to do with them. And they were massively criticised. Because it was seen as they were being unfaithful to their country, unpatriotic, they were being unfaithful to their trade, they were being unfaithful to their families, etc., etc. In North Korea in 2019, if you are found out that you're, you're a Christian, you will go to a death camp. The clues in the name, what happens. If you're in some sort of Christian leadership, you will chance or you will be shot in a village square. That's what's happening now in North Korea. In this part of the world, we might get ostracised, we might get a few sarcastic comments. But it hasn't always been like that, and I suspect it won't always be like that. We need to mentally prepare ourselves for stuff that is difficult. But Paul gives the tip here in verse 5 and 6. He says, but remember, they will have to face God. Remember that people who do this, if they continue on the way they're on, are going to be eternally separated from God. We don't remember, Peter's not saying remember as in, ha ha, I'm going to win in the long run. What he's saying is, think about the short term and think about the long term. In the words of the song, keep your eyes on the prize. And surely that should encourage us to think about our mission, our commission, to show that there's a different way, a better way, Jesus' way. And then finally, in verse 7, Peter says, when you've got your suffering for, for trying to lead a holy life, pray. And he says, be disciplined in prayer. What I read from that bit is, a lot of us find prayer tricky. That is not an excuse not to do it. Peter's saying, be disciplined. There are lots of things in life we do which we probably find boring. Brushing teeth, getting up sometimes, having a shower, etc. But we're disciplined to do it. And Peter's saying, do that as well. Just an aside, the end of the world is coming now. People often say, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. He got that bit wrong. Another way of putting that is, the coming of Jesus again is imminent. Jesus has done everything. He's died on a cross. He's taken all our rubbish God of Father, he's been raised, he's, been, he's ascended to heaven. It's imminent. It could be tonight. It could be in a thousand years' time. We don't know. But in another way it's imminent, that you and I aren't on earth for long. I worked out, this is a depressing thought, I worked out statistically, if I live to an average age, I've got 34 years left to go. <laughs> it's imminent. We need a sense of urgency sometimes. Christians who suffer most anticipate Jesus' return most eagerly. Finally, let's just remember what we're saved from. First of all, we're saved from the penalty of sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. We don't deserve it, but thanks to God's grace through Jesus, that's what happens. And if you've never done that, come have a chat with us afterwards. Secondly, this is a biggie, we're saved from the power of sin. Sometimes we need to really take hold of that and remember it. We, are no long, we no longer have to do wrong things. 
thanks to the Holy Spirit living in us. Romans 6.6 6 says, Sin has lost its power on our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. And if you're following Jesus and you've got something which you are just endlessly struggling with, come up for prayer afterwards. Because you need to take hold of that, but you are not a slave to it. And then thirdly, in literally every Bible reading, it talks about at the end, about eyes on the prize at the end. Because Jesus says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. One day, we will live in a place free from sin, from the presence of sin. Revelation 21.4 says that God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. These things will be gone forever. On two separate occasions, Peter is told to follow me by Jesus. Once right at the beginning, and he leaves all the nets, all the fish and everything, and he just goes. And then just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says to Peter, follow me. And a whole life lies between those two calls for you and me as well. Follow me. May Jesus be both your saviour and your leader. May you keep following him. May you keep be transformed, being transformed by him and for God's glory and your good. Amen.